Avondale Memorial Church, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to see you, and I'm glad to be in good health. If you remember, last time I was here, I was um, hardly standing, but praise be to God that uh, we are back together. Uh, Big camp was uh, amazing, it was inspiring, and uh, I have seen miracles. And when I mean miracles, when I say miracles, I mean miracles. Uh, Because the greatest miracle that humanity can ever experience is, It is the miracle of a changed heart. Am I correct? There is nothing greater than the miracle of a changed heart. I was in the high school tent and I was privileged to see 90 uh, young people deciding to accept Jesus Christ into their hearts as Lord and Savior and make a decision for baptism. Can we all say praise the Lord? And there were 40 young people in the high school tent that uh, indicated they would like to be trained so they can preach the gospel, the everlasting gospel, the three angels' messages. And it was so inspiring to see these young people making a commitment and being willing to be trained so they can further the work of God, so we can all finish and go home and be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope you all appreciate uh, the sermon, the title of my sermon. Maybe you've seen it in the bulletin. Maybe we can see it on the screen. And uh, if you do not understand that, there may be a problem with you. Um, I, 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 I thought about it along and I decided not to ask our head deacon to put it on the notice board on the road because he might have had some troubles. Uh, but uh, Nina was kind enough to wrestle with it and put it in the bulletin. And I was hoping it may raise a bit of uh, curiosity. It's actually Chinese, ancient uh, Chinese. And I love this thing because ancient Chinese pictographs are silent witnesses of the historical records that we have in the book of Genesis. You see, when the first missionaries went to China, they struggled because those people, while they loved the message, they said, we want to remain true to the faith of our fathers. And the missionaries said, okay, what is that faith? And they said, you know, it's Buddhism or it's Hinduism. And, you know, that came 500 years before Christ. And they said, you see, you've got these things because it's before Christ. Uh, And then the missionaries started to say, well, what was before Hinduism? You know, before that 500, what happened before then? What did you worship? And some of you might know that uh, ancient Chinese or Chinese is the oldest language we have in the world. It's 4,500 years old. And what's fascinating is it records the stories that we have in Genesis because it's not an alphabet-based language. It doesn't have A, B, C, D right? It doesn't have that alphabet structure that we have. Rather, it, cre- it contains pictures that send messages. And I've got some things with me this morning that will help you understand what I mean by that. For example, the Chinese word for happiness. It's not just happiness as we have it in English, but rather it's composed from multiple elements, multiple words, multiple ideas. And see if you can get this. Happiness in Chinese is made up of God, one man in the garden. Does it resonate with you? Does it take you somewhere? It takes you right there to the Garden of Eden, where for them happiness represented God being with one man in the Garden of Eden. That is the recipe for happiness. And that's what they have it embedded in their own language that is 4,500 years old. Is it coincidence? I strongly believe it's not. Look at the word forbidden. 
Same language, forbidden. It's made of two ideas. It is a command and trees or forests. Do we have that idea of forbidden in the Garden of Eden? When God said to Adam and Eve, you can enjoy every single fruit, but there is only one tree that you should not touch. So there was a command and it was forbidden. And it was to do with a tree. And you can see that idea is carried into their own language. Look at the third one, that we have the devil. This is how they describe the devil. This is how they composed it, how they put it together and said it's about a secret because he came as a secret being trying to take life away from who? From man. And he tried to do that where? In the garden. And what's amazing, you know, they've got the story of Genesis right there in their own language. All they need to do is, is really open up. And you know what's fascinating? When, when people, you know, the, the true Chinese started to understand this, they said, this is amazing. We have a new understanding of the gospel. I like this one. Desire, coveting. A woman and a tree. As we know the story from Genesis when Eve coveted the fruit from the tree. And that's how it was embedded in their own language, carrying the story that we have in Genesis. And last one, that is the, ser- the title of my sermon, and it's actually Garden. The title of my sermon is Garden. And look at the elements that compose this, uh, this word, Garden. You've got dust. Now, who was made out of dust? The man, right? He was made out of dust. And in order for him to live, he was given what? He was given breath. And he was placed where? He was placed in an enclosure. God created a space for him. An enclosure that we know in the Bible called Eden. And he wasn't by his son because there were two. There was Adam and Eve. You've got the person and another person. And it's so fascinating as you look at these, you know, ancient Chinese pictographs. They carry the message of the gospel, a language that is 4,500 years old. And I love that garden is about the dust, breath, enclosure, and two people in the garden. It's not coincidence, my friends. And the list can go on. We can talk about Noah's Ark and we can talk about redemption. We can talk about their their words for forgiveness. It's just so fascinating to look at their language. But this morning, we're going to look at this idea of garden. Because the Bible is actually a story about two gardens. The Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. In the company of his disciples, Jesus slowly made his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Passover moon, broad and full, shone from a cloudless sky. The entire city of pilgrims, Jerusalem, was hushed into silence. As Jesus neared Gethsemane, he became strangely silent. He had often visited that garden for meditation and prayer, but now his heart was full of sorrow. What was different? What was so different? Upon him who knew no sin must be laid the iniquity of us all. And when the weight of sin was placed upon the shoulders of Jesus in that garden of Gethsemane, 
Jesus uttered some of the most powerful words that we have in the scriptures, and they are found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 38 and 39. And it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus... Uh, it's beautiful for us because it, it tells us about redemption. It tells us about His love for you and for me, and that nothing was so strong from stopping Him to make the ultimate sacrifice. So in Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 38 and 39, we have Jesus' reaction from having the sins of the world upon His shoulders. And look what He says. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Even to death. I mean, basically He's saying, I have never experienced so much weight on my shoulders. And not only that, but the problem was the sin was already creating a separation between him and the Father. He was experiencing that sorrow in his life. And sometimes when we go through life, you are wondering, does God know what am I going through? Does God know what it feels like to lose a child? Does God know how it feels to, to lose someone whom you love? Does God know what it means to have an abortion? Does God know what it means to be cheated. Does God know what it means? And you can fill in the blank. What we have here in Matthew, we are told that our Savior said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death, which means that God understands your pain. He knows what you're going through. Jesus said to His disciples, Stay here and watch with me. And look at verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. Now before we, we read what he prayed, I want you to, to, to rewind and look what he did. He went a bit further from the disciples and he did what? He did what? He fell on his face. I'm not sure about you, but I've seen a number of paintings of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Have you seen those paintings? You know, he's, he, there is Jesus kneeling, maybe next to a rock. You know, his robes are nicely, uh, you know, ironed. His hair is nicely combed. Everything is serene. And there is Jesus praying. And that is the painting. Well, my friends, that the painting that the Bible gives us is very different from those paintings that we have seen. Because as Jesus left His disciples, He actually fell on His face. He was breathing dust. Because His soul was exceedingly sorrowful even to death. And as He was laying on the ground, breathing dust, in that sorrow, He reached out with His hand and He said, Father, if it's possible... Do what? Remove this cup because it's just it's too much. For the first time, if you can, if you can imagine this as, as human beings, we can, but try. For the first time in eternity, Jesus was being separated from His Father. And He said, God, if there, if there is another way, can you please remove this cup? Can you please remove this cross out of my way? Can you please take the, the weight of the sin of the world from my shoulders? Because what I'm experiencing here, I didn't imagine before. 
If it's possible, remove this from me. But the powerful thing about Jesus is he said, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. You know, as we look at Jesus here, as we look at Jesus here and we, we hear this prayer, we know he was in sorrow, we know he was face to the ground, breathing dust, we know he reached out for plan B and there was no plan B. As, we, as we're reading all of this, I want you to understand that Jesus was by no means powerless. This is important to understand. Jesus was by no means powerless. In other words, Jesus, if he wanted and insisted on his will, he could have called legions of angels from heaven to fight on his behalf. He could have created a a holy war. He could have destroyed Satan right there and then. And there would have been no cross, no church, no church history, and humanity would have come to an end. Jesus was by no means powerless. If he wanted... He could have chosen himself over us. But God, Jesus on earth said, I'd rather go to hell for you than live in heaven without you. And that's what communion is all about. That Jesus, the one that created us, would rather go to hell for you than live in heaven without you. The chasm that was created by sin was so broad, so dark, so deep, so cold, that Jesus' entire being was shaken. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Why? For God so loved the world. That's why. That is why. Did you know that there was silence in heaven while Jesus was fighting the battle in the Garden of Gethsemane? Did you know that no angel felt like singing when their creator was wrestling with the sin of the world on earth? Did you know that angels could not open their voices to to sing holy, holy, holy because they would have rushed to help the Redeemer? but they were not allowed. Jesus prayed, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. But did you know that there was an angel sent to Jesus not to remove the cup, but rather to strengthen him to drink the cup? Why did he do it? He did it for you and for me. For all the times when we have sinned, that we may be forgiven all the bad choices that we have made in life, that we can have a new start. And when we read that our Lord fought the battle in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He made a decision, because it was in the Garden of of Gethsemane when the decision was made for Him to be on the cross. And when we read about His battle in the Garden of Gethsemane, it is impossible not to be reminded of another garden, and the garden is called the Garden of Eden. Because the story of redemption is about what? The story of redemption is about two gardens. The Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'd like you to look at this. Uh, they're not similarities. They're actually points of contrasts. The Garden of Eden, the Bible tells us in Genesis, it was a delightful place. Everything was perfect. It was beautiful. The Garden of Gethsemane that night, it was dark and 
threatening. The Garden of Eden, Adam fell before Satan. But in Gethsemane, it was the soldiers. They fell before Jesus. And you read that in Gospel of John. And I love this idea, the soldiers fell before Jesus. Do you know why? Because in my mind, it was Satan that fell before Jesus. It was Satan that fell before Jesus. In the Garden of Eden, Adam took the forbidden fruit. That was his choice. But in Gethsemane, Jesus took the cup from his father's hand. What was lost in Eden, Christ was redeeming for us in Gethsemane. Adam, in the Garden of Eden, hid himself from God. But in Gethsemane, Jesus boldly showed himself when the soldiers came. Jesus said, who are you looking for? I'm here. I'm not hiding. For this purpose, I have come into this world. In the Garden of Eden, this is interesting, and it's powerful for you and for me. In the Garden of Eden, Adam doubted. And we all struggle with doubt in life. He doubted, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus trusted God. Adam's choice brought death in the Garden of Eden, but Jesus' choice in the Garden of Gethsemane brought life to humanity. Adam's choice led to a world of sin, but Jesus' choice opened the door to eternal life. Praise God for the Garden of Gethsemane. Do I get an amen? Praise God for the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, in uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 18, and I've chose to put on the screen the message translation because this guy really got it. And he put it into a language that it's easy to, for all of us, young and old, to, to really understand what happened in Eden and what happened in Gethsemane. What is the difference between Christ and what's the difference between Adam? And this is what he says. Here it is in a nutshell. So basically, this is the summary of the whole story of redemption. This is the summary of Eden and Gethsemane. Just as one person did it wrong, and that is Adam, and got us all into trouble with sin and death, another person did it right, that is Jesus, and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God, and that was Adam, and put many people in the wrong. And one man, that is Jesus, said yes to God and put many people in the rod. Here we have the contrast between Eden and Gethsemane, between the first Adam and the second Adam, that is Jesus Christ. Here we have a story of failure and triumph. What was undone in Eden was done up in Gethsemane. And it was done for you and for me. Max Lucado's got this, uh, this statement regarding this in the bible or the bible is a story of what two gardens eden and gethsemane in the first adam took a fall and we all take a fall daily but in the second jesus took a stand in the first god sought adam in the second jesus sought god and look at this last sentence here in eden satan led adam to a tree that led to his death but from Gethsemane, Jesus went to a tree that led to our life. I have never been to the Garden of Eden. And I have never visited Gethsemane. Maybe some of you have visited Gethsemane. But let me share this with you. Every single day, you and I walk into the Garden of Decision. What garden? 
the garden of decision. And like Adam in, in, in Garden of Eden, we can choose to doubt God. And we do life on our own terms, our way. And we doubt God and we put all the biblical principles aside and we forget about Him. But as we step into the Garden of Decision, we can be like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when we learn to trust Him. And when things don't make sense and things don't fall into place and the environment is not pleasant, we choose to trust Him because that's the best thing to do, to trust God. As you and I continue to walk into the Garden of Decision, am I going to react like Adam, doubting God? Or am I going to react like Jesus, trusting God? I'll finish with the story. In the rescue efforts resulting from an earthquake in China, May 2008, 10 years ago, a woman was found. Now, when the rescue team found that there was something unusual about this, about this woman, she, they, they found her on her knees, and she was bent forward, and she was resting on her hands, something to that extent. And she, she died because the house collapsed on her. But the leader of the rescue team looked at the woman, and then he tried to feel underneath her. And to his amazement, he found the child. He shouted, there's a child here. And they took the child out. It was a baby, three to four months old, wrapped in a red blanket. And the child was unharmed because his mother had protected him. The child was given to a doctor and the doctor took the blanket apart and guess what? There was a mobile phone. And on the mobile phone, there was a text message left. It was the last words of the mother. Words written for the child. And the message said, My dearest child, if you are able to survive, you must remember that I love you. The child survived because the mother took the hit. You may be here for the first time and we are glad that you're here. Maybe you've come here for a number of weeks and the gospel doesn't really make sense, but maybe today something is connecting. Or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for all your life. All I want you to remember is that 2,000 years ago, our God bent over his body in order to take the blow that was for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. So what are you going to do as you walk into the garden of decision? Are you going to trust him as Lord and Savior? Or are you going to doubt him? The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. And as we choose to partake of the bread and the wine, which is a reminder of the fact that we are forgiven, I pray that you'll use this opportunity to really uh, recommit your life to him, to have a new beginning. And if you're doing it for the first time, maybe be, may this be the opportunity to invite Christ as Lord and Savior in your heart. And you'll have the joy of having peace now and life eternal with him in heaven.
Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for the plan of salvation. We want to thank you that the Bible is the story of two gardens. Even though we messed up, Jesus took the blow for us. And today we can be forgiven, we can be renewed, and we can have a new beginning. Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds for the bread and the wine, Lord, may, uh, may it be a time when uh, we reconsecrate ourselves to you. And Lord, if there's someone here in this church that participates in this communion service for the first time, Lord, I pray that they will be blessed and they will experience the forgiveness and peace that comes only from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.